0: Please be seated. <clears throat> During our parish weekend up at Canoga, Martha Stern asked many of us who were there how we got there, how we came to be there, how we came to be anywhere, actually. She was asking for the story of our origins. She was asking for stories like how our parents met, how we came to be. And I realized there were important parts of my story that I didn't know. I didn't know how my parents met. So as soon as we got back to Atlanta, I called and asked. And I learned they'd been set up by a cousin of my mother's to go to a dance, uh, some sort of hunt dance, you know, black tie job. And they met on what is essentially a blind date under the clock at Waterloo Station. I mean, just straight out of the movies, you know. And and. Uh, a few weeks ago, my brothers and I gave them a uh, lunch for their 60th wedding anniversary. And the cousin, Joby, who'd, who'd introduced them or set them up, showed up with a photograph of the party that night. And there were four or five couples, all looking very disgruntled. And she, ex- she explained that they had just come back from dancing and that all the drinks had been cleared while they were gone. You know? <laughs> so, it's it's uh, our stories of where we come from are often uh, fun and can be important. And how we got here tells us something about our context and usually reminds us that we're here by grace uh, rather than by our own own efforts. Some years ago, I did a fair amount of work in in, uh, family systems theory of a man called Murray Bowen. It's really good stuff. Bowen began studying the families of people with schizophrenia and he noticed that frequently there were patterns in these families that recurred generation after generation and he began to develop a theory of what is called multi-generational family process. And one of the aspects to exploring his theories, which often apply as well to churches and other communities uh, as well as to families, one of the aspects of this work involved digging into all the stories we can find about the family into which we were born and look for patterns. We were told, notice where people died young or broke relationships. Perhaps there was a falling out a couple of generations ago and you don't really know why. Call those cousins you don't know very well and connect with them. I remember one woman doing that and asking uh, if they would tell you the story of what they understood had happened and how different it is from the story that you'd heard and on and on and on. I remember being quite surprised by the number of people in my family who had spent significant amounts of their adult lives outside England, colonial administrators and military and what have you. Really interesting stuff. I can't tell you exactly how it works, but I can testify that it does work. There is something about hearing and learning stories of our beginnings and being reminded of them that, that releases us for love and it deepens our resiliency in and for life, it makes us more clear about who we are. Even when the stories involve brokenness and pain, there is something about this that, that helps us know more fully who we are and helps us live Uh, more freely in many ways. And so today we've got the story of Samuel's beginning. Samuel was a prophet of great renown who preserved the identity of Israel after their defeat at the hands of the Philistines. And then in time, he really was a kingmaker. He anointed both Saul and David. He was a child of sorrow and a child of great fidelity. His father was Elkanah, who had two wives, not A model usually held up as biblical family values, but nonetheless, nonetheless, one was called Penina, and the other Hannah. And when Elkanah made a sacrifice, he shared the resulting food—probably lamb, maybe dove. He shared with his wives, giving Hannah a double portion. But his generosity didn't make her happy. She was miserable because she was childless, and in that day and time, it was a matter of shame for her. To this day, we can get so family-focused that we almost turn the family into an idol, placing such a burden of expectation on it that it breaks down. Certainly, we too can, without knowing knowing it, make those who are infertile or perhaps have had abortions or have simply not found uh, or wanted the kind of relationship that begets children. And without meaning to, we can add to the pain and sense of being somehow less than that many people in our midst carry. For Hannah, however, it was worse than that. Panina was wont to provoke her, we're told, provoke her severely and irritate her because she was childless. What was that about? What was that about? We don't know, of course, but it certainly involved Panina putting down someone who was different than her, someone who was other, someone who wasn't quite right in her view. Scripture tells us that she was Hannah's rival, suggesting there was a measure of competition rather than cooperation between these wives. Surely Samuel was born into a broken world where that kind of shenanigans was going on. Elkanah, the patriarch, recognized Hannah's unhappiness in spite of his generosity to her, but he's a man, for crying out loud. He thought he should be enough. He said, what's, you know, surely I'm, am I not more to you than ten sons? Good grief. You know, the self-sentence, and Hannah, through all of it, kind of keeps her sense of self. And as with many of us, when our pain is deep enough, Hannah turned to God, deeply distressed, weeping bitterly. She made extravagant promises, as many of us do when we try and bargain with the Lord of the universe. In Hannah's day, it didn't occur to Eli, the priest who was watching, it didn't occur to him that anything could be uh, going on that was right when a woman is moving her lips but not making any noise. I mean, centuries later, Augustine talks about Ambrose being able to read without making noise, reading internally. So, so in Hannah's day, this was really, really strange. And what did he do? He assumed she was drunk. How often do we judge novelty and difference as something shameful and wrong? Eli, the righteous priest, loaded pain upon Hannah's pain regarding her, as she thought, as a worthless woman. But then she stood up for herself and Eli listened, perhaps repenting, saying, go in peace. The God of Israel, grant the petition you have made to him. And so the story goes, in due time, Hannah conceived, bore a son, and named him, asked of the Lord, Samuel. And what was it about his origins that made Samuel such a great prophet and kingmaker? Maybe it comes down to being able to trust God wholeheartedly in the face of adversity, something he learned from his mother even as he was raised under Eli's watchful eye. Whatever it was we know that origin stories are important. In some ways perhaps the three young people who will undergo Rite 13 this morning will look back on today as part of their story of coming to faith. I hope so. Perhaps the new members who will uh, commit to the fundamental spiritual practices of prayer and worship Serving others, practicing generosity through sustained and sustaining giving. Perhaps they, when they make these promises at 5.30 this afternoon, they will remember this day as an important part of their stories as well. We're turning our minds toward Thanksgiving and Advent and Christmas seasons in which many of us will spend time with our families. Consider making a spiritual practice of listening and telling the stories of your family. Bring secrets into the light. Ask questions. Connect or reconnect with people from whom you might have become distant. Just a telephone call, a note. And if you see if you don't head into the new year with a kind of holy confidence about who you are and what you are about. Knowing how he came to be was not the only ingredient that made Samuel a great prophet. Ultimately, that came about by the grace and gift of God. But surely knowing his story was in the mix. Hannah, having given birth, went on to sing, My heart exults in you, O God. My mouth derides my enemies, for I rejoice in your salvation. God will guide the path of the faithful. I offer this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.